we believe that the most powerful impact you can have on not only your health in pregnancy, but also your future child's health is that preconception period. And, you know, granted, like preconception is definitely a luxury for a lot of people, but um, the more you can put your best foot forward, the more of an impact it can have on your health during pregnancy, your recovery, but also your future child's health. And that will cascade through their entire lifetime. So it's just a really powerful way to impact also future generations too, which is so incredibly amazing. And (laughs) when you think about it, it can be a little overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, that's such a big responsibility. But um, if you can look at it as an opportunity and um, just a learning experience, it's really a fun, a fun, you can have a lot of fun with it. Welcome to the Win It Life podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host for this episode. Today, I'm joined by our amazing friends, Britt and Loren. Well, actually, her name's Lauren, but I just like to call her Loren Della Cruz because I think she has the most coolest and amazing name. So Britt and Lauren are the creators of the course Conscious Conception, the ultimate guide to prepping for pregnancy. And I've actually had quite a lot of messages from women asking me, are you still trying to conceive, Kitty? You know, where are you at in your journey? So I'm actually planning to sit down and record a solo podcast in the next few weeks with one big update. So it's been a super challenging and interesting 12 months for me, and it's probably been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And I've also learned a lot about myself. So if you've been wondering where I'm at with that, then look out for the podcast because I'll release it in the next few weeks. Now let's get back to Britt and Lauren. So when they released their course, I was actually lucky enough to be one of a handful of people to go through it before it was released. And I was just so impressed. I often get asked questions about what to eat and how to train, not only while preparing for pregnancy, but also while pregnant. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to get them on the podcast to discuss preparing for pregnancy and to debunk some common pregnancy and preconception myths. I've actually had Lauren on the podcast to talk about anemia and iron overload. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I highly recommend you do. Britt was actually pregnant during the recording of the podcast and she's now had a beautiful girl named Maya Rose. I was even joking she might go into labour during it. Britt is just so wonderful. I, I, I really have a lot of time for both Britt and Loren. And just for a bit of background on Britt, she's a physical therapist who specialises in women's health. So if you're a woman who's prepping for pregnancy or if you are pregnant, you'll absolutely love this episode. And as always, don't forget to take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Hi, Britt and uh, Lauren, not Loren. I like to call call her Loren Della Cruz because I'm like, you've just got the best name, hey? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's so (laughs) cool. It just sounds so sexy and like. I don't know. I just love, I just love saying it. Welcome to the podcast, guys. I've had um, Lauren on before. If you haven't listened to her episode on anemia and iron overload, it's really eye-opening. So uh, go back and listen to that if you want to have have a listen. And um, these incredible ladies have created a course called Conscious Conception. And I was really lucky to be asked to just, or allowed to go into the course and have a look at it before 
um, it launched and it's just it's so funny because um, Lauren and I got in a call. I'm like, oh, have you thought about doing this for your marketing? You guys, because it's like, oh, this is the best course ever. I'm like, every woman who's trying to have a baby needs this. I'm like, you've got to get this out there. <laughs> but it really is <laughs> such a brilliant course um, because I, I think there's just like women are so confused about health and nutrition in general. And then when it comes to having a baby, you know, they're told all this stuff like you shouldn't eat liver because of vitamin A, you know, you should take prenatal vitamins, um, you know, just all of these things that, and, you know, they're told by, again, I shouldn't probably shouldn't say this because I won't say this, but doctors, obviously doctors are great, <laughs> but, you know, some of, I think the nutrition advice they give women is not so great. Um, and Britt is actually pregnant now. She's like nearly about to 37 weeks. 38, yeah. 38 weeks. So she might even yeah. just go into labor right now on this podcast. It could happen. So like why did you guys decide to get together to do this course? Um, Good question. Was, yeah. Um, so last summer I worked with Lauren when she helped me prepare my mm. body. Because uh, Britt, sorry, just actually, because the viewers won't know much about you because you haven't been on the podcast, but you're you're like exercise science, like you're the training background. Hey, like you're the training side. Yeah, yeah I'm a physical therapist, mm. um, specializing in women's health. Mm. So, yeah, um, yeah, and Lauren and I just always connected about this stuff every time we met, and we're in groups with our friends, just getting lost in conversation. So. We threw the idea out there um, of coming together and helping women prepare for pregnancy, knowing that like when you get ahead of stuff, it has a lot of really powerful carryover, especially something as shifting as going through pregnancy. And it started out, we possibly were going to do a book and then it developed into this course. And it's just been a really cool journey together. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. And um, exactly what Britt said, you know, we, <laughs> we would have our side conversations at parties and <laughs> we'd like, so we would love what each other was saying. And, um, I think, uh, where the course was born or the idea of doing some kind of resource for this is, uh, we believe that the most powerful impact you can have on not only your health in pregnancy, but also your future child's health is that preconception period. And, you know, granted, like preconception is definitely a luxury for a lot of people, but um, the more you can put your best foot forward, the more of an impact it can have on your health during pregnancy, your recovery, but also your future child's health. And that will cascade through their entire lifetime. So it's just a really powerful way to impact also future generations too, which is so incredibly amazing and <laughs> when you think about it it can be a little overwhelming like oh my gosh that's such a big responsibility but um if you can look at it as an opportunity and um just a learning experience it's really a fun a fun you can have a lot of fun with it this is going to seem like a really random question but it just maybe think about it um um like milk supply like i've had some like one of our one of my friends who's also a client she was a client when we had our gym and prior to coming to the gym, she like had thyroid issues, hair was falling out, you know, but she just was eating 1200 calories and just doing all the same stupid shit I used to do. And then she came in and obviously, you know, ate the food and stopped training all the time and improved everything. And then she finally had a baby and she just had so much milk. 
you know, like she had so much that she was freezing it. And then I've known other friends who um, don't eat like this or, you know, and, and do some of the crazy diets and they just couldn't make enough milk. You know, is there a correlation there? And that probably seems like a real, I was just thinking about this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. A thyroid health plays a big role in milk supply. Mm-hmm. So having good thyroid health, it also plays an incredibly huge role in pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, your body has to produce 50% more thyroid hormone in the first half of pregnancy uh, t- because the baby can't make their own. So you're supplying not only thyroid hormone for yourself, but also your baby. And uh, the thyroid hormone has a huge influence on brain development as well. So it's really important to have good thyroid function, especially in the beginning, because it can affect the neurodevelopment of baby, which happens also, you know, at the very beginning as well. It takes place throughout the entire pregnancy, but a lot of it happens in that first half too. Mm. Um, and also, you know, once you transition into uh, breastfeeding, thyroid hormone plays a huge role. If you don't have enough thyroid hormone, your breast milk production might be lower. There's also really interesting, um, I've talked to lactation consultants that are actually pro-metabolic too. And mm. they say that there's a fine balance actually. So you want to produce enough milk and you want to, you know, oversupply is good too. Mm. Uh, but too much supply might mean that you have too high prolactin, mm. which can be a, which can also be not so great too. So uh, it's a, it's a fine balance as well, but you definitely want to be producing enough to feed the baby mm. and um, hormones and sort of, how you go into pregnancy, if you end up really, really depleted postpartum and you haven't even started breastfeeding because breastfeeding is more depleting, more nutrient intensive and energy intensive than pregnancy itself. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to struggle with that part too. And you might feel really not so great. (laughs) We had, um, usually we run these challenges like a few times a year and sometimes we get women come in that are breastfeeding. And there was this one lady, I remember her speaking to Vic and she's like, it was eating a thousand calories. Oh man. Like you've got to eat more. You've got to eat more. Like it just, like, I feel so sad for these women that, you know, have their babies and then they're just trying to lose weight after that. It's just, it makes, I'm like, how are you even functioning? Yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't show up now, which sometimes, you know, it takes a while for the repercussions. And I'm Mm. not saying this in a negative way, you know, I'm not saying it's going to come and get you, but, um, you know, we have to think about, are we putting enough back into the body to support the demand? Um, And if we're not, it's going to manifest some way at some point. Uh, The body, you know, has so much resilience and that resilience is some, a lot of the times defined by how you treat yourself prior to pregnancy. (laughs) uh, If we're already in the negative in pregnancy and then we're in the super negative during breastfeeding, it'll manifest in some way, shape or form, maybe, six months down the line, or maybe a year down the line, that's a lot of the time when we hear, oh, I I got um, Hashimoto's like a year after I had my baby. It's really, really common to hear actually. Um, Mm -hmm. So just to, you know, treat the body nicely, eat the food. (laughs) Well, it makes sense. Like you think you like you're growing this thing inside of you. So if you're not actually in, consuming enough calories and nutrients it's got to get them from somewhere so it's just going to pull them from your body right yep how how because again I don't want to say this to sound like it's like a negative or bad thing but is it pregnancy is stressful on the body right like 
it's a big taxing it's taxing can you talk about that yeah um i mean i can just from the physical perspective when we're pregnant our blood volume has to increase by 40 to 50 percent so that alone is like and that happens within you know the first half of pregnancy um and so there's just constant shifts that are happening where like you said it's about resource supply and demand and if our body is not getting the supply it needs mm. it will take it from somewhere um and it it's not it's constantly there's no there's no downtime it's constantly mm. in this space of needing to continue to support a growing baby and you and prepare for breastfeeding that happens throughout we produce colostrum while we're pregnant and all those pieces are playing into our body staying in a safe space um but our body will also do whatever it needs to do to keep the baby safe so like you said it can take a resource from us if it needs to but it is a stressor and not that stressors aren't negative we go through them all day every day but it's about keeping that balance where we're not falling too far out of homeostasis to where the stressor can then lead to, you know, something long-term. Mm. Um, I just thought of something else. I've just got all these like questions that I think are typical that women ask, like around, you know, misconceptions around pregnancy. Um, oh, well, I just thought of one before. What, what about, cause I think this is a really common one too, like vitamin A. So like women are like, I can't eat liver because my doctor said that vitamin A is toxic. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, that's a really common misconception. And that stems from one singular 1995 study where they um, were measuring, uh, sort of looking at the birth outcomes for women, uh, at the vitamin A content and their birth outcomes of women. And um, what they came to the conclusion was that vitamin A increases the risk of birth defects, but what they didn't differentiate between was uh, fortified foods with vitamin A and natural foods with vitamin A and women that were taking also synthetic prenatal vitamins too. So the data of that study is highly flawed and in- inaccurate. Uh, and there have been several studies uh, coming after that that disprove that theory. You can actually have 10,000 IU, 20,000 IU, somewhere even as high as 100,000 IU of vitamin A and nothing happens. And um, sometimes it actually decreases the risk of birth defects. And actually, if you look at what vitamin A does in the body, it's the holy grail of symmetry in the body. So if you're lacking vitamin A, there's a really high risk of birth defects, the exact thing that the sort of vitamin A is supposedly causing. So we have to look at the difference between natural vitamin A and synthetic vitamin A. And yes, synthetic vitamin A does come with a risk of potential um, teratogenicity. Um, I think I'm saying that correctly. And that's just, you know, an increased risk of causing birth defects. Um, But the natural forms of vitamin A, especially when you get them from food, because they're all because food provides things in a package. So it's nature giving you not only vitamin A, but all the other cofactors that vitamin A needs to function properly. It's almost like this little gift package that comes with everything else that it needs to function properly. So 
you know, like vitamin K2, for example, and vitamin D, uh, those are all really important for functioning, uh, for allowing vitamin A to function properly in the body. So you, you have a much less risk. And actually there's really not really any risk <laughs> when you're consuming real foods. Um, so I would say that, you know, to take that into account um, and uh, to maybe, you know, <laughs> uh, I should mention too, what, if it's the doctor giving you nutrition advice, um, at least in the States here, doctors, maybe half of them get some nutrition training, but it's usually like maybe 20 minutes to two hours. So if you're getting nutrition advice from your doctor, it's not usually, uh, super, super amazingly supported because they have so many other, they have so many other things to worry about and keep up with the studies on and nutrition, you know, they might have figured out a way that, uh, something that they've adopted or a method that might have worked for a couple of patients, but, um, usually they don't have enough time to keep up with the latest and the greatest. Mm. And that, I think that's also part of the reason why that 1995 study has become so ingrained in the medical community. <laughs> mm. so, um, just a, you know, some food for thought there. So eat the liver ladies, hundred grams a week. Yeah, oh, just yeah. get it in. It's the most, it's literally the most nutrient dense food on the planet. So if you want to increase your nutrient stores, which is a big part of preconception prep, that's kind of, you know, one of the goals is to fortify your body with, nutrition and the right nutrients to, uh, not only for fertility, but for baby's health and development, uh, definitely start incorporating liver. You're going to get so much bang for your buck. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing. And I always say to, cause you know, like obviously if you can kill the cow and just get it fresh straight out the cow, like fresh raw liver, it's the best, but you can eat it. You can cook it, make it into meals. Lauren, you know, the other day was sipping on her bloody, I've done that once and I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I was like, um, you can make it paddies another way. I love to make beef liver pate. You can take the capsules. I take the saturated liver capsules. We've got amazing testimony. I think just what you can do consistently, right? Like there's always perfect, good, better and best, but right. you know, just get, get the liver in however you can get it in consistently every week. And the oysters, oysters are good too, right? Like women always ask me, what's the best multivitamin for women? And I'm like, just eat liver and oysters. Eat your liver and oysters. They're amazing. Um, okay. What about folate? I reckon that's another one. They're like, oh, yeah. if you're preparing for pregnancy, get on the folate, you know, can you talk about that? Yeah. So usually the, um, the um, but folic acid is a th- synthetic form of folate. So it has to be converted into um, this form of folate. So there's, other steps that the body needs to be able to do. And that requires, it's requires nutrients (laughs) actually. But, um, so there's a lot of different angles to folic acid and I'll try to simplify it as much as possible. But if we want to think about folate, folate is super important. There's so many different types of folate. I think there's over a hundred types of folate in food. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of different types of folate in our body, but the most common one is five MTHF. And that's the most common one found in our body. And we can get that from food. And I believe it's also the most common one found in food too. So if we're getting food sources of folate, we're going to be golden because most of the time, all of us have no problem absorbing this uh, version. 
um, and it doesn't need to be methylated. That's where it gets sticky. So uh, folic acid needs to be methylated or converted into this type of folate. Uh, there's multiple steps and it's synthetic and the body can only convert a certain amount at a time. So even if you're taking a lot of folic acid, your body can only do like, I think it's 200 um, micrograms uh, is the measurement at a time. So then you have a lot of excess folic acid floating around in the body and unmetabolized folic acid is something that we were just still trying to understand. But one thing that we've discovered that it can cause is a, um, oh gosh, uh, a vitamin B, it can mask a vitamin B12 deficiency. So that's not good because if vitamin B12 is super important for pregnancy and super important for the neurological development of the central nervous system of the baby. Um, and if we have a deficiency, but we can't tell because we have all this unmetabolized folic acid in the body, that's a big problem. Um, it can also cause um, a, um, oh gosh, I forgot the term for this. It's, uh, it's, it's like an actual folate deficiency. <laughs> mm. um, I think it's like a hypothetical folate deficiency. That's not the right term. I'm, I'm, I'm not recalling it right now, but it can cause an actual folate deficiency because um, you have all this unmetabolized folic acid in the body too. And um, the, the sort of cofactors are being depleted this, and there's like lots of backup and masking going on and um, just depleting of sort of kind of messing up the methylation pathways. And um, so there's that aspect of it too. So you can actually cause a, um, a folate deficiency. I'm going to rack my brain to try to figure yeah, out. Yeah. The term. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so, and then there's the aspect of, at least in the United States, I think uh, about 50% of people have trouble converting folic acid into folate. So there's that problem too. So, if, you know, if half of us can't even convert folic acid efficiently, and we're also getting all of this folic acid, the synthetic folic acid in our food supply too, because mm -hmm. the, uh, to, to sort of hopefully, uh, get rid of neural tube defects in the population, the government decided that we have to fortify all the mm -hmm. food with folic acid. Usually it's grains. Um, so we're getting all this additional folic acid, the synthetic folate, um, in our food. And then we're taking folate, folic acid in our prenatal vitamins and, um, it's just kind of a bad, a bad situation. Uh, so, you know, that said, we can only control so much and, you know, the kind of food that we can also afford really depends on that. But uh, I would say if you're looking for a prenatal vitamin to always go for methylated folate, so methylfolate, and that'll be the best to, for not only, you know, for people with uh, an MTHFR gene mutation. So the people that have trouble converting folic acid into folate, but for the population in general, it's going to be much easier on the body to process. That said, you can get folate from a lot of different foods. And guess what the food highest in folate is? <laughs> Liver? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. do you really even need to take, like, should women be taking, could, could they just eat food? Any I think oysters? so. Yeah. I, I, I do truly think so. And I kind of outline this, how to do it in conscious conception or course. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you know, you're more whole food, um, uh, if you, if you want to take a more whole food approach, mm -hmm. there's definitely ways that you can still get 
plenty of folate in your diet mm. and the sources of folate might surprise you. So usually people think of dark leafy greens and yes, you know, it has some folate in it, but asparagus isn't a dark leafy green and it has way more folate than dark leafy greens. And <laughs> Oh no, we're just the best. <laughs> Everyone eat the liver <laughs> and you only have to eat such a tiny amount. Whereas for these other foods, you have to eat like 10 tons of them to get the same really. And it's cheap. Like you can get a, you can get a like kilo of liver here for like ten dollars, good quality liver. That's like a dollar a week. It's costing you for your multivitamin. Yeah. Crazy. That's amazing. It's, inc- um, it's incredible. Oh yeah, I just thought of the uh, the deficient <laughs> folate issue. It's called the functional folate deficiency. A good word. Um, <laughs> it was there somewhere. Yeah. So <laughs> um, what about what about this? Is another one. Um, they recommend that you shouldn't be eating any like like raw oysters, soft cheeses, sushi, all of that. What is there any is that true, not true? Yeah, that comes with some um, you know, some tr- there's some truth to that. Hmm. But what most people don't realize is that uh vegetables have just as much of a risk of a foodborne illness they pr- deliver as much of a food a risk of foodborne illness as animal products so you know if you think that swapping your runny eggs for romaine lettuce is going to be a better you know risk reward <laughs> uh, ratio um there's really not a better risk reward ratio so <laughs> you're just as likely to get you know e coli and um something you know, from a vegetable than you are from uh, an animal product. So uh, just know that. And, um, but do wash your vegetables (laughs) and do be smart and follow your intuition and um, don't do things that you're not comfortable with. But, um, you know, there is something to be said about that sort of misconception for sure. Uh, Veggies aren't free of um, risk. Um, But uh, the, the issue with the bacteria it's it's primarily the issue with bacteria and the back if the bacteria can cause a miscarriage so listeria can potentially cause miscarriage and i think um there's a bacteria in the oyster i can't remember the name but that can also potentially cause miscarriage as well um but raw milk hasn't been found to have any sort of bacteria that can potentially cause that issue Mm -hmm. Uh, although you know they do have bacteria but it's just not as detrimental on Mm -hmm the baby. So raw milk is actually really, really um, low risk, high reward food because it's just so nutritious and it has so many immune properties and really good benefits for the baby and you. It's such a health food, um, so much nutrition, fat soluble vitamins, B vitamins, and it's not heated. So you don't lose as much of the delicate nutrients like the B vitamins. Mm-hmm. Um so raw milk is great. Soft cheese does run risk the risk of listeria, but it's also super, super low. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can give you metrics and maybe I can follow up with you and give you some stats, but mm. um, I can't remember them off the top of my head right now. Um, uh, eggs are also different because it really comes down to how the egg is raised. So the eggs uh, are kind of like, they, I think I believe the eggs come out of the same hole as the chicken poop. <laughs> So, um, you know, a lot of conventional egg farms, um, they cram the chickens together in cages and they're just really sick and they're all over each other. And of course, 
first, you know, salmonella is a more external bacteria. So um, you're more likely to get salmonella from an egg that has been uh, raised or from, from an egg from a chicken that has been raised improperly than from, you know, a, a, a chicken that's been able to roam free along the pasture and has had, you know, sun and healthy, healthy life and eats their natural diet, um, that egg will also be more nutritious. Um, and, uh, so, you know, the runny egg thing is very low risk, especially if you're getting a eggs from a high quality place. Mm. Um, what else you asked about, um, uh, Oh, oysters, we kind of covered, but Mm. Shellfish, shellfish does have, you know, the risk, raw shellfish, mm. um, not fish though, raw shellfish. <laughs> so things like lobsters, shrimp, um, mollusks, like oysters, uh, clams, those I would definitely cook just because you, it can, the potential I would say is, uh, a little higher and, um, it can just, if you live inland like me, <laughs> you know, you're not getting it fresh uh, from the ocean. Um, there's a little bit more risk there. Uh, but I do know people that feel totally comfortable eating it during pregnancy and kudos to them. Like it's really, again, about comfort level. Um, and then you asked about fish. So fish is interesting. I think um, in uh, Lily Nichols' Real Food for Pregnancy, she talks a lot about this too. Um, I think she mentions... Uh, in Japan, they recommend women, pregnant women eat raw fish. Mm. And I think in the UK too, there's like a, some kind of agency that recommends raw fish too. So again, it comes down to your comfort level. Most raw fish in the United States is flash frozen. So that kills the pathogens kind of like if you were to eat raw liver, I always recommend freezing it for two weeks to kill anything that might be in there and you're good to go. Mm. Um, And the fish here is usually flash frozen. Uh, so even if you do live inland, you're pretty much okay. Um, but again, it just depends on your comfort level. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this, you just made me think about this question, actually, it's not related to nutrition. Um, talk about the stats around pregnancy in terms of fertility dropping with age and the increased risks of, you know, things like down syndrome with age, because I feel like, and this just the, the reason I say this is, um, you know, we went in December last year just to see this fertility specialist just to get all checked out. We thought we better get Craig's sperm checked out because, you know, obviously there's two, two sides to every, you know, to getting pregnant. You know, Craig could have dud sperm, but he doesn't have dud sperm. He's got amazing sperm apparently, which I haven't heard the end of, of course. Super <laughs> sperm, Craig. Yeah. Um, but, like, when we went there, he's like, the guy's like, okay, I'm just, he was, I actually really like him and he's just very matter of fact, but he's like, these are the stats around, you know, this is falling pregnant at, at in your twenties, thirties, 5% when you're 40 chance of miscarriage is so high. And you sit there and you think, Oh, why should I even fucking bother? I'm 40, you know, like these stats, like it's just blows your mind. And then, you know, reading your course, you're like, that's actually not true. You know, it has more to do with the health of your body. Um, where, you know, where do they get those statistics from? you know, and what's the real, what's, what's the truth? Cause I think a lot of women think, Oh God, I'm 40. Oh, I better not have a baby or I'm just never going to fall pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> it's tough. Cause <laughs> there, there, there is some drop, but I think it's over exaggerated. 
um, and not contextualized well. Mm. So it makes it seem they give you these stats out of context and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm, yeah. what, what's happening. Um, it's, it's scary. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to, to really gauge, but I think once you start to read into the context, yes, you know, the increase for uh, uh, chromosomal abnormalities, the risk for uh, chromosomal abnormalities does increase, but it's about, you know, after 40, it's about 3.3%. And it's not like this drastic, you know, huge, like 25% or anything like that. Um, and, um, I do think there's something to be said about how you treat yourself is way more important than your age. I think Mm. there's so many women that also message me on Instagram and they're like, what about age? You know, I'm running out of time. Yeah. How do I speed this process up? I need to have children, you know, back to back. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, it's, it's a hard conversation because I think we're so conditioned from a very young age that age has you know, the time is ticking, you know, Mm. oh, you better get married soon. Oh, you better have kids soon. Oh, you better get a house. Like there's so many like life um, events that Mm. I think our parents were conditioned to sort of, you know, keep track of and our parents' parents were conditioned to keep track of. And yes, they lived less long than we do, than we're going to. Although that statistic actually is, you know, now on the (laughs) downhill, um, but, you know, I think there's a lot more life to live uh, and we can live longer and we can live healthier if we try. Um, and uh, I think cycle health has a lot to do with it. So mm. we, I think women back, you know, maybe decades ago used to get, go through menopause around 56 years old. Mm. Now it's more and more common to go through that around 40. Wow. So, That's crazy. Isn't it? At least, yeah. At least the women that I've worked with. And I know that, you know, family members close to me have gone through it super, super early. I know women in their 20, their late twenties going through menopause. It's there's, you know, so obviously I guess the big picture we're living beyond our means, but if we can support our demands, much better. And it always goes back to that because we have to have a really good foundation. Otherwise, anything that you do is not really going to matter that much. You have to have, you have to do the work <laughs> mm. and you have to um, have the good foundations, eat the right foods, nourish your body, treat it well, get your sleep, get your sunlight. And then once you have a good cycle and then once you're in that good place, that's going to make such a bigger difference than if you know, you're <laughs> then if you're thinking about age, like I'm in a much mm. healthier place in my thirties than I was in my twenties. And mm. I think there's so much to be said about that. And I think we undervalue um, taking care of ourselves. And I think that that's actually the biggest piece to fertility and going into pregnancy in a good place and having healthy children. Mm. You know what I look, and not every woman is like this, but I would say 95% or any, all of the women that I work with, like they've done some sort of dieting and had body image issues at some mm-hmm. point in their life. And I'll get messages from, yeah, like it's, it's, I've for years, I did the stupidest shit to be lean, like to, I wanted to 
like find a man to love me. And I thought because if I was skinny, that would happen. And I just punished my body. And, you know, this constant chasing the lean physique. And this this is probably a good topic to talk about because I get a lot of women message me like, you know, I'm really lean. I want to have a baby, but I'm too scared to put on body fat. I just can't deal with putting on body fat and being fatter than I am. Not fat, but, you know, because I think, you know, like, if you look on Instagram, there's so many of these models that are so lean and so shredded. And it's like, we've idolized this lean, hard body shape, body type, which is not really conducive to fertility. So can you talk a bit around body? And I know, look, there's no, like, you need to be this body fat to be pregnant, but there's got to be some sort of range. Like being at 15% body fat is not going to be great for fertility like I was what there's this chick and this Craig actually said to me it's like oh or maybe it was Vic because we were just talking about it this um what's her name she posted it on Instagram it was a reel she's a WBF pro right so she's pretty much lived most of her life 15 18 percent body fat she's 12 months she's been through eight rounds of IVF eight rounds I'm so sorry I my screen froze Oh, that's I'm all right. A, it's totally fine. I was just I'm crapping on then. So it's totally, <laughs> you're, good, you're good now. But, you know, she talks about a journey and putting on body fat, but she's had eight rounds of IVF. And I was just like, whoa. So can you talk more around body fat and, you know, some guidelines that, you know, what what's better for, for, for fertility in a, a regular cycle? So I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to quickly jump in and talk about Saturay's A-plus liver capsules. Now, we've talked about how amazing liver is for all women, but not everyone has access to fresh liver or likes the taste. So prior to releasing our liver capsules, I remember choking liver down every single week, just trying to make it taste better, but I could just never make it taste amazing. And I know so, so many women can relate to this. I do love making it into pate, but a lot of people still find that pate is too strong for their liking. And Emma and I just got so many requests from our clients asking about liver capsules that we decided to make our own. So the liver is sourced from pasture-raised Australian cattle, and it's non-defatted and freeze-dried, which means it retains more of the nutrients. Since releasing them, we've had hundreds of reviews from you know improved skin quality to better sleep and more energy. I've been taking them consistently now since we released them, and I just love the convenience. So if you want the goodness of liver without actually having to eat fresh liver, then grab some of our freeze-dried liver capsules. I'll drop a link with a discount code in the show notes. Let's get back to the episode. Well, I think Dr. Ray P talks about this, um, and I think it's somewhere around 24 to 30%. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's right. Is I think so. Right? Yeah, well, I remember <laughs> when we did the podcast with him with Emma, I think he said, um, yeah, 24, 25 to 30% for a woman um, is a good range. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think what, what we need to detach ourselves from is like having this um, – you know, this air also, you you know, these people on Instagram and these fit models, we Mm. don't know what their health is like. And Mm. oftentimes, (laughs) I mean, the leanest people I know are actually the ones that have the most trouble um, conceiving, unfortunately. Mm. And while they do, they still value their leanness. uh, It's just, they haven't been able to take that mental break from this might not be the healthiest version of me and everyone's 
version of health is different, but sometimes that's going to mean maybe being in a place that you're not as comfortable sitting at, uh, mm-hmm. that you might've used to been to be, um, and that's okay. It, it takes time and work to kind of undo the mental stuff behind that. Mm-hmm. But it's really important because if we keep sort of going back to this place, so what, what happens during pregnancy when you start to put on weight and the body has to, it's going to, uh, we, we can't, we can't be like, <laughs> we have to um, put on a healthy amount of weight too, um, mm-hmm. to sustain the pregnancy, to, to support our baby and also breastfeed properly. So mm. what, what happens after that? Are you just going to, you know, spend six hours on the treadmill once you're, once you've given birth and, you know, <laughs> hope for the best, like that you have to kind of face those things now, uh, mm. before you, I also think before you bring a child into the world, because a lot of the sort of dysfunction, um, we, we tend to pass that on to our, our children, even if we don't realize it. So the way that we treat ourselves is often the way that they end up treating themselves. And I think that's really important. And, you know, I, <laughs> I definitely learned from my mom and I brought a lot of that um, body dysmorphia into my teenage years. I have hardcore dieted. I've had eating disorders and exercise disorders before. And, it's really difficult to get out of that space, but um, it's so worth it. <laughs> mm. And it's very, very freeing once you're on the other side and you can value your body for what it can do rather than what it looks like. Mm. And, um, you know, there's something to be said too when you, you know, I, I think I heard Sally Fallon say this. I don't know if you know who Sally Fallon is, but she's the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. She's like, And I think she was talking about birth control, but she said that uh, no one really thinks about getting pregnant until it's the most important thing to you Mm. or until it's the most important thing to them. And then that's all they care about and that's all they want. And um, she was talking about that in reference to the birth control pill or hormonal contraceptive, I should say. But um, I think that's also true of like the way that we treat ourselves from a physical standpoint too. and like I said before, you know, sorry, I can't, <laughs> I think I have a long winded way of answering your question, but um, I think it's really important to just remember when you're looking at somebody on Instagram that they're probably not the healthiest person, especially mm. once you start to get to know, you know, what health feels like for you and try to detach yourself from compare comparison um, because what somebody's healthy is going to look like is going to look very different from your healthy and it's going to look very different from the next person's healthy. And we just have to really appreciate what the body can do because if we're entering the most important, our body's going to undergo the most (laughs) important sort of journey uh, of or phase of its life um, Mm. in creating a child, we have to, really respect and nourish that body. Um, and Britt, I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, I can definitely touch on this personally going through it. You know, you go in and you're told 25 to 35 pounds is what you should gain during pregnancy. And the further, what's that? That's like 10, 12 and a half, what, 25 pounds yeah. is so it's two and a half. So about 10 kilos, 10 yes. kilos. Yeah. 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 Um, which is not enough. So if you think about from what I was talking about before, the blood volume perspective, like Mm. just having your blood double 
is, um, I think it's like eight, eight ish pounds. If I remember. Wow. Um, and then your breast tissue gains two pounds <laughs> at least along with the baby that's five to nine pounds. So with that, placenta, through, it's organ, yeah, crazy placenta, the fluid. And so what that comes down to is that we're not, we're putting a number out there that doesn't allow us to actually nourish our bodies mm. because we want to have these fat stores built up for when we're breastfeeding and we want to be able to give our baby the resources it needs. So I had to quickly realize that that number was very arbitrary and not mm. something we need to attach ourselves to. Um, and I ended up gaining close to 60 pounds in my pregnancy, but I've had a very smooth pregnancy and I've been in a really good place throughout. Um, I'm able to do a home birth because I've kept myself low risk and that was really important to me. So I think that shift culturally and just accepting nourishing your body over what you look like is one of the most important things we can do for women because like Lauren touched on before, it's not just us, it's the baby that we're mm. supporting. And then the generations after that, that needs to come first. And allowing yourself to tune into that is what will cause that shift in letting go of the body image and knowing that the nourishing is so much more powerful long-term. So it's just because Craig and I have talked about this, you know, over the last eight months, I've bought my body. I don't know exactly what it would be. Like we didn't, we did, we, well, I just like to look at data. So like we did my skin folds a while ago and it was like 27% or something. I don't know, like around there, 26, 27. And when I started in December, it was like 21, I think, you know, so I very gradually bought my body fat up. And it's so interesting that it's like, because Craig always says to me, he's like, I just love it when you're holding a bit more body fat. And he's like, you know, your ass gets real jiggly and big. And like, he's like, I love to slap it. And he's like, your stomach is just softer, like, you know, and your boobs get bigger and you just, you know, and he's like, he's like, men and again, it's not about what men think, but this is just an interesting perspective. He's like, you know, women are so worried about what they fucking look like. You know, we're not in the bedroom looking at their ass going, oh, what's that bit of cellulite, you know, that they're so worried about. It's like, we just want you to be happy. And when you're having sex with us, be into it and enjoying it and enjoying yourself and letting yourself go, not worrying about, you know, and he's like, I love it when he's like, this is a bit too much information, but I'm just going to say it. You know, he's like, you know, when I'm shagging you from behind and your ass is real big, I can really grab it, you know, like it's really juicy and, you know, (laughs) it's just so, it's feminine, you know. He's like, he's like, look, I loved your body when you were leaner. I love you when you're fatter. He's like, I just love you. I love you. I love you as and being happy. Um. And yeah, it's just, you know, I've, I was talking to, um, you know, I've been doing some mobility work with um, Amy and when I, when I, again, this maybe me, I'm a bit of an extremist, you know, I was like, and we had this conversation last week and, you know, I just get so hyper-focused on, I'm trying to fall pregnant. I have to do everything and then going, oh, I'm just going to completely stop training, which in retrospect was not the right thing to do. Like I'm an athlete, you know, I don't need to completely stop training, but in my brain, I was like, Oh, okay, well you're doing everything. What else, you know, like, can you do, which actually made me more miserable, you know? And then I was talking to Amy saying, cause I wasn't training at all. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm really just not feeling that good in my skin at the moment, you know, cause obviously I'm not, I don't feel strong. So I haven't trained for three months. I've put on more body fat. 
but it was more actually about not so much the body fat. It was not being able to train because now, you know, I've just decided that I can't focus on this anymore because it's killing me. Basically, it's not my personality is too. I'm just so results driven, so measuring everything. So I'm just like we talked about, I'm just going to be happy. I'm just going to train. I'm going to eat lots of food, keep my body fat higher. And since I decided to do that and I've gone back to just training, like I'm just not going ham, but lifting again, I'm like the last few days, you know, great sleeps, feeling so happy again. And I just feel good in my skin again, even though I'm still the same body fat. It's not, you know, but I do think that women, it is a hard space for women to come from being really lean. But I think, I don't know, that's one reason why I just love the strength training. Because I think be a, you can be at a healthy body fat level and be strong and have muscle and feel good in your skin because you just feel, I think it's around for me that's like the strength. I don't know, it feels good to be strong. But that's mm-hmm. actually maybe Brit, a good lead in to talk about um, training in pregnancy, you know. Um, and like, I actually went last for, oh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. So my friend Lee was like, oh, you should go get your pelvic floor checked out because you're a lifter and it'll, you, you know, because you're really strong. So I went and saw this lady and, you know, I'm on the table and she got her bloody hands up my vagina doing all of these <laughs> things. And she's making me like squeeze. And, you know, I said to her, can you give me all the notes that I can write down? I just need to report back to Leela. And she's like, you've got a great pelvic floor. It's strong, but you can also release, she said, which is important because a lot of women who lift heavy weights can't release. And she's like, everything's really good. She's like, and she told me um, if when you fall pregnant, you can start practicing this now, like on the way down, you breathe in, on the way out, you breathe up and you don't, you know, like we're used to powerlifting and lifting and like the big breathe and brace. Um, And she said to me, you know, you're a lifter, keep lifting through pregnancy. I wouldn't want to see you doing 150 kilo squats or anything stupid like that. But if you've already been training, as long as you're doing the breathing correctly, there's no reason why you can't still do some strength training while pregnant. So maybe can you talk about that? When is it good? When's it not good? You know, she said, obviously, if you've been doing nothing, you probably shouldn't start lifting <laughs> heavy, heavy weights. Heavy. Yeah. 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 I- it makes me really excited to hear what she was telling you because I definitely align with all of that because there's so much misconception around the pelvic floor that's all about tightening it, right? And doing your Kegels. But yeah, relaxing it is just as important. Um, and so what it comes down to with training during pregnancy, starting off with the pelvic floor, we are obviously putting more force through our pelvic floor as our baby grows. So it's about being able to time your breath with the pelvic floor contraction. So like you said, when you breathe in, the diaphragm, which is the muscle at the base of our lungs, drops down, as does our pelvic floor. They're always working in conjunction together. So that should be the easy part of the lift. And when you're doing the exertion phase, so say in a squat, you're coming back up from being in the squat position then that's when you breathe out. You shouldn't be holding your breath. You shouldn't be doing that big lock down with your breath that actually puts more force through your pelvic floor. Breathing out is when our pelvic floor will naturally engage and pull up. So that's getting in tune with that and knowing how to breathe as you lift prior to pregnancy is super helpful because then it'll just carry over. Um, But as far as 
strength training goes during pregnancy, I am all for it. Um, there's a balance. Yay. <laughs> also, no, stoked when she said that to me because she's like, you know, you'll probably get people commenting going, you shouldn't be lifting and it's too much load on your pelvic floor. And she's like, don't go ham. Like she's yeah. like, I don't want to see you doing 100 kilo clean and jerks when you, you know, it's yeah. probably using your common sense. Or, yeah. So she was really, I was like, oh, this is good. Yeah. yeah. So our body releases a hormone called relaxin. And what that does, what it allows for is our pelvic floor to, not our pelvic floor, our pelvis, the muscle or the bones in our pelvis to shift and open to allow for baby to come out when it's time. But it also affects our whole body. It doesn't just centralize there. And if we're not strong, a lot of the times what happens is areas where we may have had injuries in the past will start to show up because there's less, the muscles are relaxed because of relaxin. So there's less support around the joints from the muscles. So pre previous injuries can be more prevalent during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So maintaining strength throughout pregnancy helps to avoid all of that. Pregnancy can be just discomfort uncomfortable at times but it doesn't have to be if we keep our body in a good place um so that's something that's really important to know yes there's a balance and i my advice is to stay tuned into your body so mm -hmm. ideally i use um it's called rpe it's rate mm -hmm. of exertion yep mm -hmm. so it's based off of how you can hold a conversation during an exercise it correlates to our heart rate, very, our heart rate max. And you calculate that by taking 220 minus your age. That's your heart rate max. Mm -hmm. And so ideally we're staying in this range of 50 to 70% of our heart rate max during mm -hmm. pregnancy. Um, there's some belief that going over that, it's getting into that 80 to 90% range can divert the blood flow from your baby to your vital organs because our body's going to choose survival in those moments. So if you're in that range, you're in a safe zone to do your workouts. And so it's just about tuning in and tracking that as you're working out. And just like, like, I don't have the knowledge that you have around training, but to me, like, I just think, well, what feels like it's putting lots of like pushing like squats to me feel like I'm going to, so I probably wouldn't be doing 150 kilo squats when I'm 37 weeks pregnant. Like I'd be thinking, oh, I might do some like hinge movements or I could do some upper bodies, like just fit, listening and getting in tune with your body. I really like that. And you, cause you know, when you're pushing it, I think yeah. even if you, if you're not pregnant, like I know like I've, I've only ever once had one serious injury, which is a freak accident where I broke my arm squatting. And apart from that, I've never been injured. Yeah. And I think it's because I just in tune with my body. As soon as I feel, I'm like, oh, that's not feeling good or I'm pushing it too much. I just pull it up. It's, so just really, like you say, getting a bit more in tune with your body and what that feels like, which makes a lot of sense. But I think it's good. Like your course obviously has a um, whole module dedicated to exercise. Yeah. Um, walking's obviously great, right? Walking in sun, get out, yeah, walk every day. Yeah. Great. Just for the <laughs> cardiovascular system alone, like I said, there's that huge shift. So walking is wonderful. Um, early on, like jogging is great. Mm. Uh, running if you're a runner. Mm. Uh, but yeah, as your pregnancy progresses and your pelvis starts to loosen, that's when running can become um just not something that could necessarily cause uh injury but something mm -hmm. that you would just have to tune into because 
our pelvis is the keystone that connects our upper body to our lower body. Mm. So as that loosens up, we have to be more cautious of dynamic movements. So like, mm. like you're saying, strict lifting, deadlifts, squats, those type of movements, those are great because you can control the movement throughout. Whereas mm. when you get more dynamic, like Olympic lifting, there's mm. multiple things happening at once. There's a jump. Um, sometimes there's a split stance. Uh, those are things we want to be more tuned into because that's where our pelvis is kind of not as stable. So mm. potentially cause the risk that there's an increased risk of injury, which we mm. don't want to deal with when we're pregnant. I can imagine like, again, I don't know if this is right, but just the feel of my body is like, say the more pregnant you are is obviously lifting less weight if you're squatting, but like squatting onto a box. Cause I feel like it's obviously at the bottom of the squat when yeah. you just reaching past your, your knees, the hips past the knee, that's when it's the most you're bracing the hardest. I feel like. Um, so I guess it's like modifying stuff, right. To, so you don't have to yeah. stop lighten and modify. Yeah. 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 So for example, like you said, having a box under you is a great option. Mm. Your stability is also changing because of the relaxing. There's not as much um, proprioception, which is like awareness in your joints. Mm. So your ankles specifically just don't have as much awareness of where they are in space. So putting a box under you is one way to keep yourself safer. Um, Then, you know, switching from a regular squat to a sumo squat, your belly's going to be in the way. So there's always ways to modify and keep moving the way that you want to. And that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Wow. This was something else I was going to ask you, but I think, oh, do you recommend women go and see like a pelvio, a pelvio, a physio that specializes in pelvic floor, like go and see someone? Yes. Um, I think that's something every woman should do postpartum without a doubt. Yeah. Um, But if you've ever dealt with any sort of pelvic floor difficulties, that could be incontinence, Mm. um, bladder incontinence, fecal incontinence, anything with sexual discomfort. Mm. Uh, Those are all things that I would want. I would recommend clients see prior to pregnancy just Mm -hmm. to get a pulse on what they can do so that it doesn't progress during pregnancy. Mm. Mm. I love that name, Elvio. Yeah, physio. <laughs> yeah, this oh, lady really? was so nice. I really liked her. She's she's like a fa- uh, Instagram page. She's like, if anyone tells, like, send me some videos of what you're lifting, and I'll tell you. I'll like tell you if you're doing the breathing properly, and like, not that I'm even fucking pregnant now, but you know, I just thought plan ahead. You know, like just see what the state of my pelvic floor is like. You know, she gave me these exercises to do. She's like, you just have to do them. Like it's like holding release. She's like the release is important to so hold release 10 times. And, and she's like, just do that every day or every like four, four times a week. I'm like, surely it's easy to do that every day. It takes like two minutes. She's like, exactly, Kitty. I'm like, some people must just be whinge about doing it every day. But um, <laughs> um, is there any other things that you can think about, any other that I've sort of missed some typical, you know, like <sighs> misconceptions around pregnancy and Actually, this is just one for posts because I feel like so many women are like, fuck, I've got to, get, got to get back into shape. You know, like I've got to get back into shape. I've got to quickly lose the weight. What's a good reasonable time frame to naturally, you know, like healthily lose the baby weight? How long? I know you can't give a, give a thing, but like, you know, women like pop the baby out, like I'm straight back on the Stairmaster trying to like, you know, starve myself and... <laughs> 
I I can start this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we'll um, both touch on this for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it depends on if you're breastfeeding and how long you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you start to introduce exercise back into your routine, which you know, Britt can speak to how you can do that safely, mm-hmm. but you want to be very aware of the different hormones that you're going to be sort of pressing on the levers for. So if you start to, um, uh, introduce exercise and your milk supply starts to diminish, then you know that you probably started too soon or too hard. Your body wasn't ready. So you need to sort of slow down and backtrack a little bit because, the body doesn't have enough um, fortitude yet. And Mm. that's okay. It takes, I I did some recently, um, some research on how long it actually takes to heal your body after you have a baby. And it's, Mm. I think it's somewhere around six to eight months. Wow. In in actuality, like from... So, and which makes sense because it took, you know, actually over nine months to make a baby. Um, so it's going to take the similar amount of time to heal. That's kind of also the, you know, even just healing in general, like a lot of people ask me, oh, how long will it take me to heal from this? And how long will it take me to heal from this? And um, you kind of have to think about how long your body has been um, you know, in demand for depleted and the negative. And again, pregnancy, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good stress, but it's also depleting. And so is breastfeeding. So you have to be aware that your body needs extra support during this time and to support your body, your body's resilience to not stress it out so much so that you end up with, you know, a new diagnosis six months down the line, or Mm. you can't breastfeed anymore. You really need to support the body. So I would say, you know, you can introduce exercise, especially for mental health as well. Like that's an amazing way to also get back into your routine. And it's a great way to bond with your new baby, go for walks and get some sun. Um, But you want to be really cognizant because again, breastfeeding is also super more depleting and and, um, demanding on the body than pregnancy itself. And if you have one really demanding thing and you're putting another demanding thing on your plate, um, it's going to be harder to make up that difference and meet your, your demand Mm -hmm. with your supply of nutrients and the things that you're nourishing yourself with, like sun, sleep, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So Um, I'm sure you have plenty you can add to that. (laughs) So I think the approach that I like to educate with here is that, um, allowing that healing short-term has much greater impact long-term in your life versus forcing it in the short term. Mm. So, you know, when we give birth, our placenta leaves um, a six to eight inch wound in our uterus that has to really. Yes. So you have an open wound in your uterus. And so that's one of the things that you can really tune into in postpartum um, is say, you know, two weeks in, you decide to go for a walk. And when you do that, you have increased bleeding. And that's your body's way of telling you, I wasn't prepared for that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I need you to rest more. And it's, there's little signs that our body will give us like that. 
Um, and so allowing yourself, especially the first month to just really, um, slow down as much as you can and heal will allow you to get back to the things you love, you know, within a reasonable time frame and a reasonable progression of how hard you're going into pushing it. So, um, from a pelvic floor perspective, uh, because you know, that, that is one of the things that is most affected during delivery is you can actually start learning how to re-engage your muscles right away mm-hmm. because they were so stretched and shifted. There is just from a purely neurological standpoint, the brain and body connection is sometimes not broken, but paused. And so you have to like reintegrate how to just simply contract and relax to urinate. That could be something you Mm. start with. And so that helps in that incorporating that sometimes just helps women feel like they're doing something and that can start right away. Um, But as far as building up to like resilience strength training again, it's better to take it slow than to force it Mm. because you can end up doing more. um, You can. Um, Yeah. More harm than good. Like an injury, I guess. Right. Like give it a bit more time. If you injure yourself, it's going to mean you're even out for longer than you would need to be. So how long usually would you, if everything was fine, would you give it before you started strength training at least some, I don't mean go ham again, but start slowly, like 12 weeks, 16 weeks, like how long? Um, I would, my recommendation is to start with just body weight. Mm-hmm. At 12 so, weeks. Is that too early? Around eight to 12 is my window. Yeah. Okay. So, That's um, not that long really. Like, yeah. but you have to constantly tuning in right like and it might just be that you're doing like 10 squats a day around two months yeah and see how your body responds or you're picking your baby up off the ground I say babies are the best kettlebell (laughs) that's a good idea like squat down pick up your baby you could just do stuff with your baby exactly yeah that's really the way I love women to progress back to exercise because the baby is going to continue growing yeah it's a bonding moment and they progressive overload there isn't it (laughs) yeah presser overhead you know all of that (laughs) that's so good that's such a good idea because they're obviously growing continuously so they're getting heavier and that's you naturally have to do that it's not normal yeah what okay so eight to 12 weeks and then obviously just very gradually build up yeah and just continue to tune into your body that's Mm. that's what the goal is is see how you feel later that day and the next day and then you can slowly progress it from there but there there shouldn't feel like there's a rush because your body will especially if you're breastfeeding it's Mm. gonna shift because it's using extra calories and Mm. you know it it's better to tune in and slow down versus feel like you have to rush back to where you were before because you'll get there yeah Mm. yeah um and i just wanted one question before we finish up so let's talk about breast milk versus formula. So the reason I just, because this friend of ours just had a baby and um, she couldn't make enough breast milk and so she's onto the formula and I was just looking at some formulas in the shops the other day. Holy mm-hmm. shit. 
Mm-hmm. What, like, like full of vegetable oils, like yeah. terrible. <clears throat> How, uh, like, should you just really try hard to breastfeed? Like, I know I, this is probably a sensitive topic. Like, I know that I wasn't breastfed. My mum didn't breastfeed any of us. I am really glad that I know what I know because I said to Craig, if we fall pregnant and have a baby, like, we're fucking, we have to. Like, oh, there we go, putting pressure on myself. But, you know, like I just think knowing what I know about and looking at that formula, I'm like, you're literally feeding them vegetable, like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's definitely a personal choice. And sometimes there is no choice involved. Of course, you can't let them starve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes women just have a lot of trouble producing breast milk or mm. they just simply cannot get their baby to latch. Mm. And I would say go see a specialist if that's the case, because there could mm. be a tough tie involved. So mm. or a lactation specialist, they'll be able to guide you and sort of what might be going on. Um, mm. So definitely don't underestimate the help a lactation consultant can provide. But again, mm. that's if you want to. Um, but if you want to, <laughs> you know, definitely the the um, sort of benefits are just almost in you, you cannot bottle the benefits of breast milk at all. It's just impossible. <laughs> There's so many amazing components that set the baby's immune system up for, for health, for long-term health. Um, there's so many amazing nutrients. And again, what you eat is going to determine the nutrition in the breast milk. So mm-hmm. that's why I say <laughs> definitely don't, uh, undernourish yourself and, you know, try to cut calories while you're breastfeeding just mm-hmm. yet, because, the nutrition that you're getting, you're, you're nourishing yourself, but also a new human. Mm. And and it's more, more nutritionally demanding than pregnancy itself. So your, your nutrient requirements are going to go up after you have a baby. Um, so really try to nourish yourself, get a variety of foods, eat those super nutrient dense foods, like liver eggs. Um, there's so many different fatty acids and, um, different, um, components that just set the baby's health up so much, um, for so much health that you just can't formulate yeah. in a can't replicate it. Yeah, and you know can, what? It's free. It's, it's free, free too. And yeah. it's convenient. You just have to whip that boob out anywhere and no sterilizing. I was my mom with my brother, like sterilizing all these fucking bottles and, you know, like, yeah. And I can imagine too, it just to me seems like this incredible bonding experience with your mm-hmm. baby. Like all the women that I've spoken to have said, oh, it's just this most amazing experience. So, yeah. yeah. I've met many women that don't want to stop breastfeeding because they just have this amazing bond with their child and it's beautiful. Um, and they're just so sad to stop. <laughs> but, um, you know, definitely uh, there are better options out there though. Mm. So, mm. for example, I had a friend come visit me and she brought her eight month old and it was amazing. I got to meet her for the first time, but um, she was weaning her baby off breast milk and um, started incorporating formula. And uh, the first two ingredients on that formula were corn syrup solids and vegetable oil. And I was just like, (laughs) again, like you mentioned before, you can't really say too much to your friend. You can't. You know, I, I, uh, she did ask me and I was like, okay, these are what I would kind of maybe look for. Um, but 
there are other options out there. And I know that the Weston A. Price Foundation has a good, um, uh, you can either use regular milk or raw milk, and it could be cow's milk or goat's milk, but a way that you can make your own formula that's uh this this formula this recipe was actually approved doctor as well so it's not just you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, some, yeah. You know, it's actually nutrient um very nutritious and um really well thought out and um i would say go look there if if yeah. you are somebody that cannot breastfeed at the, this time or do not want to um because most of the breast milk formulas I'm sorry, most of the formulas uh, on the market are just really fortified with synthetic nutrients and mm. synthetic nutrients, just as they work in our bodies, they don't, they won't, they don't work as well in our bodies and mm-hmm. they won't work as well for the baby. And to start them off with a synthetic cocktail is not really uh, going to be super supportive. And it'll also contain things that they probably shouldn't be getting right away, like iron, for example, mm. um, which can feed bacteria and pathogens and viruses. Um, it can damage the stomach lining too. So uh, mm. it's kind of like a, a formula is kind of like this one-stop, one-size-fits-all thing where um, I think that there can be, there are much better options out there, even if, you know, you do have to resort to some kind of supplementation of some mm. sort. <laughs> mm. Oh, awesome. Oh, guys, that was great. I loved it. So much great, valuable information. And um, I'm going to drop the link to your course down below. I've noticed lots of people on the Facebook pages is great introducing themselves. And oh, imagine all these great babies that you're going to produce. That's so exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. Said, if you're listening to this and you are thinking about having, a, just buy the course. Like, honestly, it'll be the best investment you've ever made. It's what, like $497. And it is packed is that how much it is yeah Yeah. it's packed with so much information like it is so such good value you just won't regret it unlike buy the course invest in your health invest in your it's just even a good investment for your health even if you're not going to have a baby you know because we obviously do like a lot of the same principles we apply in our program but we're obviously trying to achieve a different outcome um but it's just looking after your general well-being and health anyway so yeah, highly recommend it. Thanks so much, guys, for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. So much gold in there. I think women will just get so much out of it. Thank you. Great. Hope so. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.